This morning we're going to be over in Matthew as we continue to take a look at this, the need for faithfulness. Of course, one scripture we looked at last week was Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6 when it says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Most people think themselves as loyal or faithful. But as we began to look at last week, God's in God's view, there are not as many faithful people. So how is it that God views it one way and we view it another? Where is the uh, the disconnect from that? Because somehow we need to get to the place where we are on the same wavelength as God and that we see faithfulness the same way He does. The verse we looked at last, the verses we looked at last time in Matthew, as we looked at the parable of the talents, we saw how important faithfulness was. Because the reward that we have to come depends more on our faithfulness than on our production. Very often we look at our production and think that's what does it, but it's not. It's our faithfulness. If we are faithful with what God has given us to do, our reward will be great. But if we are unfaithful, we saw what happened to the one who was unfaithful. We gave you a note last week. Most Christians confuse faithfulness with diligence. Most Christians confuse faithfulness with diligence. Just because you are diligent does not mean that you're faithful. I can be diligent and take the calling that I have from God and mix in my own ideas. I can mix in my own desires and be diligent with that, but that doesn't mean I'm faithful. And I gave you this before, I believe last week. I can be diligent without being faithful, but I cannot be faithful without also being diligent. So the most important thing that we are is faithful. In Matthew 21, in verse 28, we're going to begin reading there. And we're going to actually jump around here in this chapter. Excuse me just for a minute. As we, uh, as we look at these, these verses, we're going to kind of jump here in the middle. And then go on over to the, uh, go to what was, was before and what comes after. In chapter 21, verse 28, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first, Jesus said to him, according to, uh, uh, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Now, this particular man that Jesus gives the parable about, he had two sons. One said that I will not. He said to he went to him, he said, Go and work in the field, go and work in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. Can you imagine being a son who your father comes out and says, Go work today in the vineyard, and you say, No, I won't go. But afterward, he went. Now why did he go? Why does the word of God say that this man went and worked in the field? Worked in the vineyard? Because he regretted it. He did the will of the Father only because he regretted his answer. He regretted not doing it before. So because of his regret, he went in there and he worked. The second one said, I go, sir. But he didn't go. So he says, here's the question that Jesus asked. Which of the two did the will of his Father? And they answered the first. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. So tax collectors and harlots are those who at first said no. But then because of regret, went and did it. And they went out and they did the, the will of the Father. These folks are ones who said, I will go, but then they never went. That's what he's talking about them. Now, does anybody get into the kingdom here? Of these two examples. Anybody get into the kingdom? 
Yeah. Look, look at what Jesus says. Which of the two did the will of his father? Verse 31. They said to him, the first. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. So somebody's getting into the kingdom of God here in this story, right? They're not both out. But which of the two is faithful? Which of the two in this story are faithful? The answer would be neither. Now think about this. It, it is real, this is why I brought this particular story up, because I want you to see this. It is real easy for us to think that faithful people are those who do the will of God. That is not the case. You can get into the kingdom of God by doing the will of the Father. But the reward comes to those who are faithful. See, there's a difference between doing the will of God and being faithful. I can just do what what the will of the Father is and just go out there and do it, but I'm not being faithful to what the will of the Father wants, to what the calling of my is on in my life. I just did the will of the Father. This is where we come into a problem, folks. We'll sometimes look at people in the kingdom of God and say, oh, look how much of the will of God this one is doing, and we deem them faithful. But God doesn't. There is nothing in this story from Jesus where he points to either one of them as being faithful. And yet, when he tells other stories and he's talking about faithfulness, he points out, this is, this one here is faithful. Now, the second one said, I go, sir, but he didn't. You see, for both of these guys, they served another master. The first one, he served another master, and so did the second. That's why there's not a faithfulness there. The first one who says, I won't go. Why is he saying I won't go? Because there's something else that I'm serving. I'm serving another master. That other master says don't go. We have other things to do. I might have, maybe he had a party he wanted to get to. Maybe he wanted to work on his car. We don't know what it is, but maybe he had something that he, that he wanted to go out and do. He may have uh, had tickets to the local sporting game and he didn't want to go because we don't know what it was but something came up something was more important to him than doing the will of the father there and so he gave into that he says no i won't go but then he regretted it and he went out there and did it and then the second son said i'll go but he didn't go he stayed away from it and see this is uh this is a problem too because he's serving another master. He's trying to mask it by saying, I'll go. And maybe the father won't notice that I, I didn't go. He's trying to mask it. And that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. They're serving another master but they're trying to mask it. They're trying to put a, uh, another appearance on it. And that just won't, it won't work there. See, they're serving another master. That knowing it was wrong, this particular son, he tried to cover it up. But he's still serving another master. Another master. I put this in your outline for you. Maybe at first we are enthusiastic about doing the will of God. But then thoughts come to us as to why we shouldn't and we lose interest or become distracted. You see, I hear something in the Word of God and the Word of God says, Do this. Or the Spirit of God speaks to my spirit and He says, Do this. And I get excited about it. And I get in, I'm ready to do this. But then as I get going, thoughts begin to come to my head. Do you really want to do that? Look what's going to happen if you do that. Oh, come on. You don't really want to. And I begin to entertain these thoughts. I begin to think about these things. And before I go out there and go out into the field, go out into the vineyard, I say, no, I'm not going to go. And I pull out of it. See, we at first can be very enthusiastic about the things of God, but faithful people stay with it, even without the enthusiasm. You can't always just do what you're in the, what you're in the mood for. Now, I remember this when we were growing up. Uh, my mom teaches lessons like this. Uh, maybe you had this when you were going on too. You, they tell us, you know, go clean your room. You know, go go clean your room. Your room's messy. Go up there and clean it. And uh, this is a common response for me. You know, either I don't want to or I'm not in the mood. 
I remember one particular time she uh, she told me I said I'm not in the mood and she let me know says there's a lot of things you have to do you're not in the mood for <laughs> just because you're not in the mood does not mean you can't go out there you don't need to get out there and do it and so you know that's a good lesson to learn because sometimes you wake up in the morning and it's time for work and what do you say I'm not in the mood I'm not in the mood for that or uh, duty calls in some way or another and you can just say well I'm not in the mood well that doesn't work and that's not what faithful people do so neither of these sons is faithful but one of them did the will of the of the father I put this in your outline for you if you didn't get this yet how easy is it to declare those who do the will of God as faithful because all I can see is them doing the will of God but I don't know what they were what the will of God was to them. I don't know what they were faithful to. I see that they did some good, but I don't know what they were faithful to. I can accomplish God's will and still not be faithful. But it's a whole lot better for us to accomplish the will of God and be faithful. Now, those who are faithful obtain a higher place and a reward than those who just get into the kingdom of God. We don't want to just get into the kingdom of God. We want to get a reward. And the reason we want to get a reward is because the Father wants us to get a reward. He wants us to enter into the kingdom with stuff. He doesn't want us to get in there empty-handed. If He gave us two talents, He wants us to come in there with four. If He came in there with, with five talents... If He gave us five, He wants us to come back with ten. He wants us to increase. That's His desire. That's His will. Now go back over here. Let's see what the setting is of this particular parable, why He gave it. In verse 23, Now when He came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted Him, look at this, as He was teaching. Don't let that get past you. Imagine this. You are in some church service somewhere and the pastor or the guest minister is in place. He's up there on stage. He is in the middle of teaching and a bunch of elders or deacons get up, march up to the front and confront him in the middle of the service. Can you imagine that? What kind of a mood would that put into the into the uh, church? But that's what's happened here. Jesus is in the temple. Jesus is in the midst of teaching. And in the midst of teaching, these folks come up and confront Him. How lost must they be that they are religious leaders and they confront Jesus in the midst of a service. And remember what Jesus said? He he spoke. He only spoke words that He heard the Father say. It's the only words He spoke. So Jesus is up there speaking the words he heard the Father say. And these religious leaders get up in the middle of that and they declare their own words, thinking they're on God's side. Thinking that they're doing something to help the kingdom of God. Can you imagine that? But that's the setting that is here. That these folks were so lost in this area that they got it right up in the midst of the service while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Now, can you imagine that? Somebody's up, comes up front teaching and people come and they challenge the very authority of them being there. That's, that's not a real good situation for the rest of the service to be um, real flowing. But Jesus stuck with it. He stayed there with it. He didn't just bail out. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is in the middle of the service. He was teaching on whatever he was teaching on. We don't know. We didn't get that written down. He's teaching on whatever he's teaching on. And they said, by, by what authority are you doing these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? 
And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So if they wanted an answer to this thing, if they wanted to hear an answer, all they would have had to do was give him an answer back. And he wouldn't have given them an answer. He would have told them by what authority he did these things. But now look how far gone these folks were. Again, religious leaders of the day. They are more concerned with how they will look to the people in the temple than they are about finding the truth. If we ever get more concerned about what people think of us than we are about finding the truth, we are in bad shape. This is why the enemy was able to take them in the direction that he, that he was. Because they didn't love the truth anymore. You've got to love the truth so much that even if I am missing it and the truth comes in and slaps me in the face, I'll say thank you. I, I needed that. Go back to that shaving commercial. What was that aftershave they used to do? You know, the guy would be shaving. Guy, Aqua Velva, is that what it was? Aqua Velva. There it is. They still make that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> they don't do the commercial anymore. And the guy would come in and get slapped in the face. I think, the, was it the bottle that would slap him in the face or the hands would just appear? Or? He, would he just put it on himself. Whatever. Well, he'd slap him in the face. Oh, thanks. I needed that. And see, that's what we would do when the truth comes and reveals something that we're doing that's wrong. Oh, oh, that is good. Yeah, I'm missing it. Oh, yeah, I, I should not be doing that. Thank you, Lord, for correcting me on that. Thank you for setting me straight because we love the truth. These folks don't love the truth. They like their appearance. They're not out doing the will of the Father and they are certainly not faithful. See, they're doing their own will. That's why Jesus uses the example of the harlots and the tax collectors. These are people they consider to be the the worst sinners. He said, they'll get into the kingdom of God before you will. Because they at least in the end did the will of God. You guys say you're going to do it, but then you don't do it. And he said, you're not going to get in there. So that's the context of this. And look at what they said again in verse 26. But if we say from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. They would have rather had said from men. That would have been their preferred, preferred answer because to say from God, well, that's not good. <laughs> we can't say he's from God and be here in the temple confronting him. So their answer they would like to have said is from men. But the reason they don't is because they fear the multitude. For all count John as a prophet. Hmm. And see, he took himself out of the equation on this. All right, let's see. You don't like me. So let's just uh, let's take somebody else. John. Let's just take him. Where does authority come from? Well, see, they, <laughs> they're okay with saying that Jesus is from men, but the people like John, they're afraid. So because of how people would perceive him, they said, uh, we do not know. Now, this is great. we got religious leaders here. They're asked a basic question, is this person of God or not? And they said, well, we don't know. That's bad. They've really humiliated themselves and they probably don't even know it. People people sometimes can do that. I heard uh, uh, that one uh, reporter from CNN. I'm sure nobody here watches that, that place, but I heard about it. I didn't watch the report. I heard about him going down to a, an area of the wall and saying how uh, peaceful it all was and how it's all in good shape and that we don't need a wall, but he's standing by a wall. <laughs> he was standing by a wall to say that there's no need for a wall because there's no activity here, but he's by a wall. And he didn't realize what he was saying, that here by the wall, there's no problem. <laughs> so, see, sometimes people, they're, they're trying to, to point out something and they think they're saying one thing, but actually it's, they're not. They're saying something completely different. He says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he goes into the parable. But what do you think? He says in verse 28. A man had two sons. So that was the setting of it. Because they came in to challenge his authority. If they're challenging his authority, they're saying he's not doing the will of God. 
Now, if you are faithful, you are doing the will of God. If you are not doing the will of God, you won't even be counted among those that are faithful. Well, let's go back over here to the into into this. See, they came in and they were questioning Jesus. They were questioning Jesus' authority. I put this in your in your outline for you. That when we see someone act in the name of God, the enemy would hit us with the thought, has God really said? When we see someone act in the name of God, the enemy will hit us. You see, if we have somebody over us, or if we just see somebody in the body of Christ, let's just take an example that we can all uh, relate to. You may not have feelings on it, and that's fine if you don't. But I know that certain uh, certain ministers in the gospel, uh, they've got uh, jet airplanes to get themselves around, and some other ones have some large houses, and some of them drive some large cars. And so opinions come up about whether they should have large cars, large houses, or the uh, jet airplane. And then people begin to talk about this and people begin to say these particular things uh, and they lose sight of, of what it is that they're, that they're doing. Now, I heard one person say this, never, jan- never judge a man's harvest until you saw his seed. I think that was Creflo Dollar who said that. I'm pretty sure that was. I'm about 95% sure that was. That sounds like him. And I tell you what, that is a good thing to say. We're out there a lot of times judging the harvest, but we don't know what they sowed. You look at some minister who's driving around in some big you know, new car. Uh, I heard some people know like, they like Bentleys. I, I can't stand them. If somebody gave me a Bentley, I would sell it. I just don't like them. I'm happy, very happy in a truck. But some people, you know, they, they like those particular type of cars. And if you like a Bentley, that's fine. Go out there and get it. That's, <laughs> I just, I think they're ugly. I just, I never liked them. And there's other ones that are out there. But, you know, some people really like them. And they, if they want to go out there and drive it. Well, I, I know some people who have cars like that. And they didn't buy them. Somebody bought it for them. Because that's what they felt like they, they wanted to do. Well, you find out that this particular person had sown cars. They had cars. And God said, sow that, sow that one. Just give it to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And they just took the car and, and gave it right to them. But you see, they had sown a number of things. In order to, to reap that harvest. So don't judge a brother or sister's harvest till you've seen their seed. We don't, uh, we don't need to be doing that. But you see, when I see someone act in the name of God, whatever it is that they do, we sometimes see people going up and they lay hands on people. How many have ever had this thought? Don't raise your hand. Just use your inside hand. You ever seen somebody raise their, uh, come up there and minister to people and an inside thought comes, they don't need to be pushing them around so much. Why do they have to shout? Like, why does it have to be so extravagant when he does that? And these thoughts will come. Well, are they doing the will of God? Are people getting healed? Are people being set free? But you see, this is what the devil does. As soon as I see someone do something in the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, then a thought comes. Why do they have to do it this way? I don't know. That's the way they did it. And I just learned, just let it go. Don't be messing with it. And, uh, you know, back when, um, oh, I forgot the, the brother's name. Oh, he had me, me, healing meetings. Never laid hands on anybody. He just would have a worship service and afterwards have people come up and testify. Why can't I remember his name? Some of you will probably remember it. But um, Benny Hinn. Brother Benny Hinn. And we've actually been to one or two of his meetings when, they was, when he came around here. And I heard people, you know, they talk about him and and uh, uh, and, and things uh, about it, and uh, they don't like certain things that he did. But people got healed. If God's power is showing up and God's power is doing something, why in the world am I talking about how the went, how the man is doing it? You know, whether he dresses a certain way or whether his hair goes a certain way or uh, what? What does that matter? But you see, these are the thoughts that come in, and so I see a person ministering in the name of God. And I begin to think, well, why do they have to do it that way? Why can't they do it this way? And these questioning things come in. And if I embrace them, I am starting down a wrong path. No, don't be doing this. Don't be, don't be going there. You see, embracing this thought, it leads to, to me thinking, I don't think they heard from God. Are they really doing the will of God here? 
See, we make ourselves the authority in that situation. And I reject that God put that person into place and is doing what he did. This is what we saw. We just covered the story recently, so you'll, you'll remember. Aaron and Miriam, when they came up against Moses, the thoughts came in. Why does Moses do this? Why did Moses marry this particular woman? Why is Moses always the one? God doesn't just speak to Moses and see these thoughts come in. We have to guard against those thoughts. There are people who will minister the things of God differently than how you will minister it. But that's all right. Because when God gives us things to minister, He ministers through through our filter. Our filter gets involved. Don't be don't be putting it away, putting it down. I put this in your outline. Questioning is not submitting. If I'm going to question, I'm not submitting. So if I sit back there and I'm in the service and I say, well, why does this person do this? Why are they going in this direction? That's not my place. I've told you some stories before when I was the assistant pastor, but uh, one that my the pastor I served under, he loved laying hands on people. Loved laying hands on people. He'd just have service and just lay hands on people. And so... Um, if he felt that the Lord was there for us to lay hands on, he, we'd have a time when people were being hands are laid on. That, that's what we would do. And so I just got, I didn't ever sit there and say, well, I wonder if the God's really in this. No. <laughs> if, if he felt that there was a need, that this is the direction that God wanted to go, it wasn't for me to question it. It was me for the, to step on out there and do it. Brother Doug Jones one time shared a story where, uh, he was, uh, uh, ministering with Brother Hagen in a particular meeting and they were laying hands on people and I, I was too long ago I heard the story. I mean, it were, we're looking at decades ago I heard the story. But he was saying that something was going on on the inside of him and it just wasn't right. But he's still there. He's catching. Now, I don't know if he was questioning what Brother Hagen was doing or questioning something God was doing. Whatever it was, he was questioning something and he's still catching people and then all of a sudden Brother Hagen stopped he stopped laying hands on people. And he stepped back, and, and Brother Doug says, and he looked right at me. He says, man, I got right real fast. <laughs> he, he said, I, I just took care of whatever it was, and I just got right. And uh, then after a little bit, he, he went back to laying hands on people, and he went back to catching. And so afterwards, he uh, he talked to, to Brother Hagin. I said, yes. <laughs> That's a bold thing to do. He went out there and he talked to brother. He said, why did you stop? And he said, because something wasn't right and I knew it wasn't with me. <laughs> he didn't know what it was, but he knew it wasn't with him and it was messing the thing up. And so he, uh, he just stopped and then when it got right, he, uh, he moved on again. Now I put this in your outline. I want to make sure you get this. Questioning quietly is the first step toward rejecting openly. Just because you question quietly doesn't mean that it won't, it, it won't progress. But that's the first step to rejecting openly, openly. We've got to stop it at the first step. Don't be in there questioning quietly. If God gave something to the person who He's ministering through, he's not, He has no need to give it to you as well. It's God's going to give it to them. If I'm sitting in the audience and Brother Creflo Dollar has a particular way of ministering, it's not for me to sit there and question, well, did God really tell him that? Now, if he's teaching something that's errant from the Word, that's different. But if he's just saying, God told me to, well, that's fine. God told him to do that. Go out there and, and, uh, and do that and minister in that way. I'm not going to sit there and question those kind of things because questioning quietly is the first step towards rejecting openly. We don't want to do that. See, when we reject, when we see rejection of authority as submission, we are in trouble. And this is where people get to. I see rejection as authority as submission to God. Because God told me this. Therefore, I reject what you're doing. We gotta be real careful about that. Now, there are times when Paul, who had authority over certain things, that uh, when Peter missed it, well, he he confronted that openly. But he was wrong, and he proved he showed it by Scripture while he was wrong. And that's a different thing. 
But we have to be careful about this. And it's not just people that are in the pulpit. We've got to watch folks that we minister to side by side. If God is giving them something, listen to what God is giving them. Don't be sitting there just judging all the time. Well, I don't, I don't think they're hearing from God. Well, I heard from God, and that's wrong. That's a wrong attitude. If there is room for correction, if you need to correct somebody, you ought to be pulling them aside. Helping them out. Not um, not trying to hurt them. Not trying to embarrass them. These are things we shouldn't do. I think I already gave you this, but Jesus asked them a question. And in answering, they are more concerned about how they appear than they are about the truth. Always be concerned about the truth more than anything else. See, what master are they serving? It's real evident what master they're serving. It's not good. Now let's go on what what happens after our story here, or the parable. In verse 33, he says, Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went to a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. The last of all, then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out into the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but whomever it falls it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Now they didn't come into that perceptive understanding because of the Spirit of God. Just because you perceive something doesn't mean you heard from God. The enemy can give you perception or your own stupid head can sometimes figure some things out. And that's uh, probably what, the, what happened here. But here we have a similar parable to the, to the talents. There are some similarities here. Something that was not theirs was given to them for the purpose of them gaining, gaining a harvest and bringing that harvest in. Now, it was not going to be all of the harvest. There was going to be a portion of the harvest. But here's what happens to the vine dressers. I mean, how do you get there as a vine dresser? You get there, we agree to pay you so much for the use of the vineyard and we'll keep so much of, a, of the profits. How do you get to that place to where now you're killing people? over not paying it. How do you get to that spot? Well, the place, the, the way that you get to that place is you begin to entertain some thoughts. As you are working hard on this vineyard, the thought comes in. Well, why does the owner of the vineyard have a right to these things? We're the ones doing all the work. Why should he get anything from that? And by the time they send somebody over to collect from the time of harvest, you've got so much pent-up anger that you start beating people. And that seemed pretty good. So after that, you start killing people because he kept sending people to you. Why are you asking me for this? This is our vineyard now. We've worked it. Well, it wasn't your vineyard. You didn't buy it. You don't own it. But you see how we can get this warped idea because thoughts came in I began to think about these thoughts and it took me out of the place of being faithful and now they are no longer even doing the will of the father or the will of the the vine dresser here, the, the landowner, who was, I want to receive part of the harvest. A portion of the harvest is mine. And they didn't want to bring it. They didn't see that they needed to do it. You see, they received what was not theirs to produce a yield or a profit for the owner just like they had before in the parable of talents. 
I'll put this in your outline for you. Questioning authority leads to all-out rebellion. We've got to be careful about it. We have to be watch, watchful of those of those things. Now, we were going down to Ramah. And we were in there for school. They gave us a little taste of this so that we could begin to learn these principles. I don't think we, we knew it at the time. But looking back on it, I could say that we, we learned it. When we went into the to school, they told us there are certain regulations and certain things that you had to do. You had to wear a dress shirt. Or a, dress, or a shirt with a collar. I mean, it could be a polo shirt that had a collar. But you had to wear a dress shirt. No t-shirts. Nothing, and we're just talking to the guy, about the guys. And you had to wear dress pants. No blue jeans. You had to wear dress pants. Then dress shoes. No sneakers. You had to have dress shoes. And your hair was not to touch the collar. If you're a guy. I'm just giving you the guys regulate. The girls had the other ones they had to do. We, we guys, we had the ones. I only focused on what the guys had to dress because that's all I had to dress. <laughs> to, to, to be focused on all that. I know that the girls had regulations too. I don't remember what they all were. Um, I know dresses were okay, skirts were okay. I'm not sure if uh, pantsuits were okay. They could have been. I don't. I don't remember all that. I just remember what the guys were. So this is what it was. And so um, what would happen was if your hair got long, Dean Moffat, who was the dean at the time I was going to school, he would come over and he'd tap you on the shoulder as you're sitting in your chair. He'd tap you on the shoulder. He said, cut your hair, son. That's all he would say. And then you better get out there and, and cut your hair. Get that haircut. Because uh, that, that hair was not to touch the collar. He didn't, he didn't ask you if you liked the style. Nothing. When you came to school, this is it. You were told. Hair is this short. Dress shirt. Dress pants. Dress shoes. This is how it went. And so every day we came in. And this is what we had on. And so every day I came in, I had dress pants on. I had dress shirt on. I had my hair where it needed to be. And I had my dress shoes on. And I remember years after this, I had gone back over to, to Raymond one time. And I saw, he had retired from being a dean, but he was, uh, he was back there for one of the reunions. And one of the times we went back there for Winter Bible Seminar. And so we were walking around and I saw him. And I went up to him and I shook his hand. I said, Dean Moffat. I said, my name is Steve Hecht. You don't know me. And see, that was good because if he didn't know you, that means you never got in trouble. <laughs> and he just smiled and laughed at my comment about that, that he didn't, that uh, he didn't know me. And he, he just said, yeah, that's good, huh? <laughs> so, and it was. I, I made sure that I would do these things. But you see, the question you can come on in, well, why can't I have my hair a little bit longer? I like my hair a little bit longer. Well, why can't I wear this particular thing? And you can begin to do this. Now, that was the requirements. But Brother Hagin was very clear when we were there. He says, if you're going to make it in ministry, if you're going to make it in ministry, he says, you dress up. He wasn't, he wasn't for all this, uh, untucked shirts that they're doing here now and, uh, all the other sort of stuff. Uh, when you showed up at church, you had a, a suit and a tie on or a sport coat and a tie, one or the other. But that's what you, that's how you showed up at church. And so he would tell us in the, the time that we were, we would have him. He said, if you're going to make it in ministry, you're going to dress up. And he would talk about his experience with that and how he dealt with the people and he just wasn't always, uh, uh, dressed down all the time, but he would, he would come in there dressed up and, and so forth. And so we went from first year where people showed up with a dress shirt, dress pants, dress shoes, and the haircut to when we got in there the first year, we had 400 pastors in my group. 400 pastors. Out of that, there was a handful of ladies in the class, but there was uh, basically 400. Most of them were guys. And when we came in, every single one of them was in a suit and a tie. Every, it was not required. It was not required. And it didn't just stay that way on the first day. You went to the last day of school and still everyone in the class had on a shirt, a tie, dress pants. That, that no one showed up without a tie. You may have shown up without a sport coat because it got hot in uh, Oklahoma. And you may not have had that on, but you had the shirt and you had the tie on. Everyone came in in that way. No one required it, but they did it because they understood. See, we understood the, the will of Brother Hagin in this situation was that you dress this way. Here's the requirement. You could do the will. You could do the requirement without understanding the will. But uh, that was one of those striking things that had, had occurred there. We need to find out what the will of the Father is. Just as the same way when we're working in a secular job, and we're working in, a, in an operation. We got to find out what is the will of the boss here. 
What does the boss want me to accomplish? Then that's what I need to accomplish. Because what the boss wants me to accomplish is what I need to focus on. That's being faithful. I'm going to do the will that the boss has said for me to do in this particular thing, but I'm going to be faithful to it. I'm not going to mix in my own. This is what happens. The enemy comes in and he tries to get you to mix in some of your own will. What if you just did it this way? What if he just added this to it? I know that the boss doesn't like this, but you really like doing it this way. And I'm sure he wants to keep you happy. What if he just did it like this? But you see, you go all the way back to the garden and this is what the enemy tries to do. Has God really said? And get them to be unfaithful with the word that they have. Don't let people and their attitudes, don't let people and their lack of doing the will of God ever get you to stray. It won't hold up in court. In the court of God. It won't hold up. You can't go to him and say, well, so-and-so did it. That's not going to work. Because he's going to hold you to what you know to do. What do I know that my God wants me to do? That's what he's holding me to. Just like we saw in the parable of the talents. I'm going to judge you based on what you said. You said I'm a man and he listened to qualities. All right, let's work on that. If that's what you truly believed that I was, you didn't live up to it. You didn't do it. I put this in your outline for you. My attitude toward those in authority demonstrates to all the master that I serve. My attitude toward those in authority demonstrates to all the master that I serve. This is what you got to do, folks. You got to be careful because you can come in. The devil just takes your own ideas. He just takes some extra things and he begins to mix it in so that you are no longer being faithful to the, the will of God. You may be out there doing the will of God, but you're not faithful to what God has called you to do. You ever see those people that are out there in the streets condemning people? You're going to hell. Repent. And they don't get anybody. Nobody comes over to them and repents. But they go out there. Well, I did the will of God today. I was out there calling people to repent. Nobody repented, but I was out there. But that's not the will of God. That's not how God wants you to do it. You're not being faithful to what God said to do. You're just out there doing something. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. Don't just be out there doing things. Find out what the will of God is and do it. You see, many do the will of God as a self-service. That's what the Pharisees were. Sadducees, they were in a self-service. This served them to do what appeared to be the will of God. But doing the will of God does not make you faithful. Because you can appear to everyone else to be doing the will of God, but God says, you know what I told you to do. You know how I told you to do it. Now clean up that attitude and, and get going. Because sometimes we can have a bad attitude and we blame it on other people. As long as you keep blaming it on other people, you're never going to grow. you got to learn there's going to be people who do things wrong. <laughs> do things in a bad way. It's alright. You just go on. Father God, I thank you that I can be faithful to do what you said to do. And people may openly confront you even in a church service just as they did with Jesus. And if they do, just do as Jesus did. You can confront him, confront him right back. But you see, he didn't just, uh, he didn't just yell at him. He said, look, if you're really concerned about this, knowing this truth, then you tell me, the guy who came before me, where did he come from? Where did he come from? And it's important, folks, that we keep our attitude correct. Because your attitude in ministry will tell you more about who you serve than anything else. If you are serving God and you keep getting angry at people in the body of Christ, more than likely, you're not serving the will of God. You're serving yourself. Somehow, you took some of this own, your own self stuff and you mixed it in. Don't do it. Don't be doing it. You gotta, you gotta begin to listen. You know, when we, we watch over here, we, 
Every week we talk about how good the worship team is. How good things are going. And when they're up there worshiping, now I get to know a little bit more about this because I'm here on Thursday nights for the practice and I get to, to watch some of the practice and see where they're going. But then sometimes when they're up on there, uh, the, who, who, who's ever leading, Phyllis is leading, sometimes Nikolai may, may get something and they may go in a different direction. Now they have a, a choice up there, <laughs> the worship team does. They can say, well, I don't think I want to go that direction. I think God is leading us this way. But see, that's not the, that's not the way to go. And that will create a problem. In there. Glory to God, we don't have that problem, right? That's why we can throw that one out and use, use that as an example. But sometimes, that's not always the case. Sometimes people that are trying to work together in ministry, one feels one way, one feels another. Watch your attitude. If people can bring you into a place of a bad attitude, they may not be the problem. I had to learn that a long time ago. If people around me, because I had a lot of people with, when I was an assistant pastor, I had a lot of people around with bad attitudes. And I had a lot of people around there who did nothing but want to confront me on this and confront me on this and block this and stop this and it was not, it was not good. I remember one case in particular, one of those things that uh, really stuck out to me when the, in the time I was there, that I was getting ready to leave. I already told them I was leaving and I was going and I gave them a number of months before I was going to go, but I said, you know, this is, this is it. And um, they had made a decision, the, the church leadership there, had made a decision to go in a particular direction. I didn't like the direction that they were going, but I, I, I told them, I says, well, look, I'm not going to be here. If this is the direction you feel that you're going, that's the direction that you, that you ought to go, um, I'm leaving. So we had a big meeting, and everybody was giving in their two cents about this thing. But at the end of it, we decided, it was decided, this is the direction that's going to be going. And so there came a particular Sunday, because it was a, a big direction change, a particular Sunday they were going to announce it to the church. And so all the leaders were up there at the front, one of those little prayer circles that the, they like to get in, into. And so we're sitting around there, and these two elders in the church stood up and said, well, I know that we said that we would go along with this decision, but I don't think we can do that. And down on the inside of me, I got angry. Now understand, I didn't think that they should go in this direction either. I voiced it at the meeting. They still wanted to go in this direction. And the pastor wanted to still go in this direction. So that's the direction we went. And we voiced it then. And there's an anger that rose up on the inside of me. And I looked them directly in the eye. And it says, don't you dare go back on what you said you would do. And drag this congregation into that kind of a... And I, I just let them have it right there. And uh, of course, that didn't help us. <laughs> a whole lot. We've never had a real good relationship even before that, but that was uh, that was just wrong. Because you cannot come into a group and, and tell the pastor, we're going to go with this, we understand, and, and go in this direction. And then right before it's all going on, no, we're not going to go that way. And then afterwards, I knew what they were going to do. Well, I know they announced it, but we don't feel that God was in it. And now they start the questioning. See, questioning is where rebellion starts. And they get the people questioning. And I knew their, their intention was to cause rebellion and get people to come to them. That was their intention. And it was wrong. Be careful about that questioning. That's not our place to be doing it. If you got a question with something, when you are with that particular person, when you're with that boss, question them then. And then when you come on out of there, make sure that you, you stay in, the, in that place and that's where you go. But these folks, in the midst of the service, this is where they were going. Jesus is teaching. I'm sure it was something important and it was something that God told him to say and they decided to interrupt it and to bring all this on. And this is the direction that, that God went. Watch your attitude in ministry. The bad people that are around you may be more about shaping you and your attitude into something better than anything else. And I learned sometimes the hard way that other people and their bad attitude, if it brought something out of me that was bad, it was because it was there all, all along and we needed to deal with it. And I was able to bring it out and deal with it and thank God because it got, it got easier as time went on. Now before we go, go today, we're going to spend a little bit of time on some vision cards. My wife is going to come up here and, and talk to us about this. But um, just as far as a, a vision from the church, because it's important that we, we know these kind of things as, as well. 
As we have your vision, vision cards, I want to give you three things on it that you can focus on as far as a vision for the, for Zoe Christian Fellowship this year. And here's one of the first things that we want to do. We want to see increased numbers of visitors and mostly new disciples because our, our goal here is, according to God, is to make new, make disciples of all men. And so we want to make disciples out of that. And we're doing some things through the area of Facebook and some advertising we've told you about. And we're, we're getting some notice. We're getting some people that are noticing and some people that are making some comments and uh, we're, we're looking to turn these into some visitors. We're doing some some things along that process. One of the things that was brought to my attention as we were talking about this was that churches, when we're out there on the on Facebook and we are promoting the, the church and calling people to action to come on out, one of the things that really helps, he says, is the community presence. He says, he, he, was, he was talking just there in Tulsa. He says, some larger churches in Tulsa would not benefit as much from this that we're doing on Facebook as some smaller churches because their community presence isn't real strong. You see, if you have a strong community presence, then when people see something come up on Facebook, oh, that's that church that was over here. So one, here's one of the things I want you to think about and consider getting yourself involved with, and that is things that would be involved in the community presence. Well, some of these would be uh, involved in schools, public schools, not private schools, but public schools are a place that we can do that. And these cannot be places that we're going in to pray over people or to do church things. These are things that we go into these these places to do service-oriented things, to do do uh, do stuff to help the school out and just to let them know this is Zoe Christian Fellowship. We're here. We're helping out with whatever it might be. And there's a number of ideas, and I'll, I'll put this challenge for you out there. Go out there and find out what some churches have done in the area of community service and see what what what's on the inside. Oh, I, th- I think we can do that. I think we can do that. And you can get it going in the school where your kids are at if you have kids in a, in a school. That's one thing you can do. When we were doing the Easter egg hunt, the egg hunts that we did out here, well, that's a community presence. And so we go back there and we do that again this year. And now they have the Facebook uh, uh, presence that we've had on there. And then they begin to say, oh, this is that same church that I saw doing these. And now we're, we've got two points of reference. And so we can see a greater, greater yield from those particular things. So there's other, other aspects of, of community presence where we can build ourselves up in that. And you may be able to do that just, just yourself, just your family, or you might be able to say, Hey, we have this that we can do, but we need three or four or five or six other people to come along and help. We're not trying to get a community presence in every single school that's around here, but we can certainly get a community presence and build up in a, in a few areas. And if we take on a few of these, these areas, and then we can, we'll, we'll see the church increase, and then we'll have more people to go out into other places and to begin to do that. So community presence, numbers of visitors, and here's the third one. We want increased faithfulness on your part. That's something we have here as a goal for you all. I want you all to learn what faithfulness is. And I want you, when the, by the time we get finished with all this on faithfulness, that you know what faithfulness is to God so that when you get to heaven, your reward will be great. And it all depends on our faithfulness. So there's three areas of vision just here for the from the church standpoint. Increase in visitors, increase in community presence, and increase in faithfulness. We'll of course have some other things we'll add along here, but these are things that you can be be looking at. I'm going to ask my wife to come on up here and she's going to uh, be telling us some more things about the, the vision cards and what we can do to to bring them in. Do we have the microphone?